I'm Chief Cheryl Victorian. This is Waco PD on the beat. Whether it's crime or just getting to know the Waco Police Department, we're here to talk about things that matter most to you. Welcome to Waco PD on the beat. I'm the Crime Stoppers Coordinator for McLennan County Officer AJ Smith. You forgot your name there for a second. I did. It's only Monday. We record these a little early in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm Sierra Shipley, the Public Information Officer for the Waco Police Department. Thanks for joining us on this episode today. Yes, we've got a pretty awesome guest, um, one of our training instructors. We've got Joe Arnold on here. Um, I say awesome because I don't know if he remembers it, but there was a day in the academy that I was accidentally interviewed by the news, and I didn't know that it was published. And for about four hours, it was, AJ, do you feel awesome today? Because I feel awesome. Everything (laughs) was awesome. And then at lunch, someone finally shared with me the article where the only words taken were awesome about 20 times. So... Another awesome person, an awesome officer that works with us. <laughs> it's awesome to be here. <laughs> I'm glad I'm not any more nervous than AJ right now. That's right, yeah. Yeah, it's because yeah. I forgot my name. It just, everything snowballed from there. That's okay. That's okay. We're getting back on track. Yes. Well, uh, before we get into a little bit of training, the range, all that fun stuff, let's talk about you yourself as an officer. When did you start your career in law enforcement? I got hired in Waco at the end of 1999. Hit the streets in Waco in the middle of 2000, and I've been working for Waco ever since. This is my 23rd year working for the Waco Police Department. And uh, in your 20 years, explain uh, the kind of career you went through here, because you haven't been in the training unit this whole time. No. So when I graduated from the academy, we still had an in-house academy at the time, fairly large class. All of us hit the street. We went straight to patrol. Um, started getting out there, learning what you do as a patrol officer, learning for some really good senior officers. And then I spent my first eight years in patrol working East Waco and South Waco. In 2007, uh, there was a call for a street crimes unit to be started up. So I was one of the six founding officers for the street crimes unit when that started up. Did that for about two and a half years and then went back into patrol. Um, Spent several more years in patrol. Then in 2015, I joined the SWAT team. And did that for about four years. Um, Most of my time at the department has been in patrol. I've never really been interested in being a detective, mainly because they don't get to shut it off. And uh, (laughs) then in 2017, the position came open in training, and I tested for that. And that's where I've been since 2017. So the last roughly five years, I've been in training, helping, you know, instruct, teach at the academy, provide in-service training, et cetera. And you do a really good job at it. Oh, well, yes. I appreciate it, you it, saying that. I don't know if I do or fun. not, but I try to make it entertaining. <laughs> it's yes, very you entertaining. do. I'm, in my first week here, I was really fortunate because you guys allowed me to come in those trainings. And we did, I don't, it was FX training. Was that is that the right name for it? Yeah, it was reality-based training. Okay. It was so cool. Yeah. Well, you I mean, and really I mean, the purpose for that was kind of twofold for us. Um We felt like you coming in as kind of an outsider, you're not an outsider anymore, but coming in as an outsider, if you were going to speak for us, we wanted you to have some of the same experiences that we have. And so we wanted you to shoot us and get shot at. Absolutely. We wanted you to feel it and kind of have some idea what's going on for the officers out there so that when you're speaking for us, you're you're one of us more than just reciting something you have no idea what, no context. Right. And that was in my first month being here. And now... 
there's definitely a lot more on my plate, but I'm so sad I haven't been able to get out there with you guys again. Every yeah, well, time I'm like, oh man, they're out at the range today. Yeah, well, hopefully this year we will be coming back in house and being going back to the DTFX block. We just don't know exactly when yet. We have some mandated classes that are kind of in the way of that. Right, right. When did you? This is not one of the questions that I gave you. I'm going. It's just one that I like thought of right off the top of my off mind. Off the cuff. Yes, Here we go. It's off the cuff. When did you realize that you? liked to teach when did you realize you had a knack for that because not everyone can teach and teach well well I think it goes hand in hand with being helpful um my entire life if I've been a teammate or I've been being coached or um, just doing any kind of group activity um, I've always tried to help people do it well um, so I've always been interested in kind of polishing skill sets, helping people do things more effectively or efficiently, um, and just coaching in general. I mean, I've, I've been an athlete and, and part of groups my entire life. I've always been able to distinguish who I like as a coach, who I don't like as a coach, what methods of coaching work with different types of people. Um, and so it's always been an interest of mine to instruct, help, pass on knowledge, uh, and that's really all it is. I'm a flow through. Um, it's not like most of the stuff I talk about is stuff that I invented, right? I didn't come up with the wheel. I'm just showing the wheel to somebody that's maybe never seen a wheel before. So uh, while that may seem like I'm an expert, they catch up to me real quick. Most people are a little bit smarter than I am. So once I introduce them to the information, they catch up, they surpass me, and then we have much better officers on the street than when I was out there. Very good. I like that. That was a good answer. And so – Speaking of helping, what are the kind of things that you do to help run the department? Well, <clears throat> so in the training unit, and I am speaking for the training unit, um, Sergeant Newman, Commander Soto, uh, Officer Jason Vela, who is a far better trainer, trainer than I am, but he's just not allowed to be here right now because the other stuff going on. We give him all the important stuff because he's better at this than I am. <laughs> um, but what we do is we teach the academy. So for the academy, we teach – driving, we teach use of force, we teach um, mechanics of arrest, we teach defensive tactics, and we teach firearms. We teach the high liability things, the things where people can get hurt and die and possibly cost us a lot of money if we do it wrong. Uh, we do this mainly because we want to make sure it's done right. And then for the department, we take care of yearly qualifications, we take care of most of our in-service training that's mandated, uh, or if we don't have somebody at the department that is an expert in whatever's mandated, then we facilitate hosting that type of class so that we can get all of our officers through it, maintain our certifications, make sure our licenses stay up to date. And as far as those uh, certifications for people that may not know, like we just got accredited and that's something that you guys kind of made happen essentially was making sure all of our training requirements were up to the state standard, right? Yes, well the accreditation program really it was a top-down effort. Uh, Commander Soto got it pushed through there at the end. They were able to um, overcome some of the hurdles that had been keeping us from getting accredited. Uh, most of it boiled down to administrative um, hurdles, things like, you know, not the correct amount of um, paperwork in a file. We didn't have, like, maybe a resume for an instructor in a certain file of a class that we taught. It wasn't that we didn't have it. We just didn't have it in the file. So there were a lot of little administrative things that we had to get taken care of. Uh, there were also some classes that we needed to put on the docket and host. Um, there are some um, yearly things that we like. We had to add uh, inspecting each of the guns that we qualify on. 
So then we had to have somebody that's capable of inspecting those guns and some way to record that we inspected the guns. Um, so a lot of uh, housekeeping stuff, a lot of administrative stuff. Um, that accreditation will help us as far as showing that we are maintaining best practices and that our officer is as highly trained as you can possibly get them uh, without costing the taxpayers, you know, millions and millions and millions of more dollars. So, yeah. And that's probably one of the benefits to having an in-house training unit instead of having to send people to someone else that's hosting a training, bringing it here, having our officers Oh, absolutely. If we have to send people out of, ha- out of house to go to training – then you're looking at the cost of the training, you're looking at per diem for feeding them, you're looking at hotels, the cost of all that. And when you have a department our size, it's not as big as, say, Dallas, but it is a quite large department. And when you're having to get every single officer through that type of training, you're going to incur a lot of cost really quick. Whereas if we can host something here, then not only do our officers generally tend to get free spots or at a reduced cost, but we can also benefit the surrounding area because they don't have to go as far. Officers from Hewlett, Robinson, Lacey Lakeview, Bellmead, um, the Baylor Police Department, all those local agencies can just attend here. And it also saves them the cost of paying for hotels and travel and per diem and all that. So it does benefit us greatly when we can host something in-house or even get our people certified to teach it themselves and then put it on for ourselves. Nice. Now you talked just now about how other departments can come and utilize. How important, though, is it to even interact with those other departments and work with them? It's incredibly beneficial to work with the other departments and make sure that they're just as trained and just as qualified as what I feel like our officers are. A lot of smaller departments maybe can't afford to do as much FX training as we do or as much driving training as we do or anything like that. But all these little surrounding agencies, I say little, that's not to belittle them. It's just they're smaller departments, so they don't have the budget, they don't have the manpower, and sometimes they lack the expertise to put on their own training. So coming here allows us to not only know who they are, it allows them to assess their own skill level, us to assess their skill level, make sure we're all on par with each other. Because if they get in a chase, they're going to chase it in our city. If we get in a chase, we're going to chase it in their city. We may all end up on the same thing. So we need to all be on the same page as far as tactics, techniques, jargon, so that we're all operating in concert to solve whatever problem we're dealing with. Right, absolutely. And now it sounds like that we do a lot of training. Well, I should say you teach a lot of training. And talk about the extensive of just what training looks like. We're constantly training. We're constantly, whether it be you or other people, how much training happens with our officers, detectives, sergeants, all that stuff. So there is a lot of training that occurs. It's just usually not the high-profile things that people think of. When people think of training in law enforcement, they generally think of, like, uh, we're going to ninja something or we're going to shoot something. (laughs) Mm -hmm. That's not really how it goes. There's so much mandated training that occurs online, on computers, legislative updates. We've got two that are coming out this year, one that's procedural justice which I'm not exactly sure what that is even yet, but I know it's mandated. Uh, And then we're going to have another one, Building Trust Through Trauma, which is going to be put on in-house by a couple of our officers. Uh, It was supposed to be three, but one of them just up and joined the military. But that that particular course is going to be a course on um, Waco's past as far as how the police have interacted with different communities in the past here in Waco that maybe will inform our officer in case somebody – has that in their head when they interact with us now. They may have a preconceived bias as to what they expect to happen with us that we're unaware of. 
Um, so all those types of training, all the, the brain work training occurs kind of outside the public view. And there's a lot of that. There's a lot of training that goes on that it doesn't have anything to do with shooting, driving, or fighting. Um, frankly, we need to be competent at all of those, and we need to train all of those as best we can, but we really don't do that much of it, mm-hmm. thankfully. Yeah, you right. Know, generally, if we do a good job as an officer and our command presence is where it's supposed to be, we shouldn't have to touch anybody, really. Yeah, absolutely. Silly question, but got to answer it. Why is it important to train and continue to train? Okay, so training is important so that an officer has confidence and ability, right? If you are aware of a technique, but you've never done it, then you're not confident you can do it. So you're not really trained in it. You're just intellectually aware of the technique. When we train somebody to do it, then we make them at minimum achieve conscious competence. That means that they can do it. They know what they're doing, and I can verify that they know what they're doing. Now, what we would like to get to is unconscious competence. That means that they're, they've built a schema in their head so that when they recognize a certain situation, they put that tactic or technique into play without having to consciously think about it and think about all the different steps they have to take to do that, right? I mean, if you give me a large bowl of treats, I can teach a dog to do choreographed stuff. The street is not choreographed. It's a fluid, dynamic, ever-changing set of circumstances that officers have to constantly employ different techniques and tactics to try to ride through there securely, make sure everybody's safe. In order to do that, they have to be confident that they have the skills to do that. The only way to be confident in your skill set is to learn the skills, train the skills, know that you can operate those skills. I mean, know it. Deep down in your soul, I can operate these skills, and it's going to occur for me without really thinking about it. Once they do that, then we remove fear from the equation. If you never think you're going to die, you're not that scared. But if you think you're going to die because you don't trust yourself because you're not trained, now you might panic a little bit. Now we might do something silly, right? Right. So that's what we're trying to avoid. We're trying to get everybody trained to the point of unconscious competence so that we don't start to panic. We don't let fear in. We keep the professor engaged talk about the range a little bit. Okay. Because you spend a lot of your time there, right? I do now. Yeah. Yeah. Now you do. Exactly. Kind of, we uh, had someone retire there, a a great man who did a lot of stuff for us. Yeah. Right? Jimmy McCall was a huge loss to the department. He yeah. retired and he deserved it, rightfully so. Um, but it is a very large and deep uh, body of knowledge that we lost. And we, you don't really know it until you start trying to figure out what it was that he knew, and you're like, um, I got to call Jimmy. You're, you're calling him. You're like, <laughs> uh, hey. Luckily, he didn't change his phone number. So, oh, good. you know, if I he run into now, anything, though. oh, well, you know. Um, yeah. He, and I think it was, it was hard for him because he didn't even know how much stuff that he did just habitually. Right. Right. So it was very hard for him to say, hey, you need to know about this. Hey, you need to know about this because it was things that everybody that has a body of knowledge takes for granted. Like, I don't get up in the morning and think to tell my kids how to breathe in and out. I mean, you take it for granted. Mm -hmm. Well, that's the type of thing that you lose when you lose somebody as experienced and knowledgeable as Jimmy McCall. He didn't even know what he needed to tell me because there's so much stuff that he just did that just got done. It was unconscious competence to the nth degree. Mm -hmm. You know, so now I run into things and I'm like, okay, don't know exactly what I'm doing here. Do I make up something brand new (laughs) or do I just call Jimmy and see how we've done it in the past? Right, right. Right? So... 
Uh, I'm in the deep end. I'm not drowning yet, but I'm swimming. Okay. You know. All right. I'll get you some floaties. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Definitely need some floaties. <laughs> <laughs> well, explain the um, you know the the benefit is to having a place like the range for our department and just surrounding agencies. Uh, so the benefit to having the range is we have a place to do live fire drills to actually operate our firearms, operate um, vehicles if we need to. We can also you know we can operate gas canisters. SWAT can train out there. Um, and it's safe and it's away from the public. Um, you can't really train shooting without doing some shooting. You can do dry fire drills. You can do, you know, marksmanship drills with, with lasers. You can do um, FX dr- gun drills on the seventh floor with rounds that kind of sound realistic and they're not quite as accurate. But nothing mimics holding an explosion in your hand and that loud noise going off and that recoil. The only way to learn to tame that is by doing it. And since really at the end, it's probably the highest liability, most important thing that we might actually have to do, which is employ deadly force. Every officer that we train needs to be confident and competent that they can do that effectively and accurately when they need to. Um, thankfully, since I've been at the PD, um, that's pretty much been the case with our officers that have had to use deadly force. Mm-hmm. And you've talked about qualifying. What is, for those who don't know, what is qualifying? Qualifying is once a year, all of our officers have to come out to the range and we have a preset course. It's 50 rounds mandated by T. Cole. T. Cole mandates certain things like you have to have a timed reload. You have to have so many rounds shot at, so, at certain distances our qualifying course also incorporates a little bit of training. Um, so it's at a higher standard than what TCOL mandates. We have our officers step offline when the target presents. That, that gets us in the mindset of, hey, if there's a threat, I need to move to cover. Um, we have our officers shooting faster because uh, we have limited time windows at which mimic a realistic engagement. Um, and then we score them for accuracy. If an officer can't shoot 70% on our qualifying course, then we know we need to put them in for some remedial training because their skill set has diminished. All of these skills are perishable. So if you don't revisit them and you don't care to do it at all on your own, they may diminish enough during the course of the year that when you come out to qualify the next time, you may need some remedial training to get back up to that level. Um, Unfortunately, right now, we only do it annually, but then we supplement that by at some point in the year, we get some type of trigger training in, whether it's actually live fire training at the range or FX on the seventh floor. And it's not even our current officers that qualify either, right? Well, no, we also do the firearms training for the academy. That's where we take newer students, some of which have never fired a handgun, and we go through the basics of, you know, grip, trigger control, how to get a sight picture, how to draw from the holster. We actually start that on the first day of the academy. They get issued a blue gun, and they start learning how to properly draw from the holster, present, find a sight picture, so that they can know how to do that by they get by the time they get to the range and we give them a real gun. Um, but a lot of those people, the, the biggest hurdle for them, the people that have never shot before, is in their mind they have to get over the fact that here's an explosion in my hand that can kill somebody. Can I control it? And they learn really quickly that, yeah, you can. Everybody has the grip strength to be able to shoot, but you have to believe in yourself to do it. So we got to overcome that hurdle. And then by the time we get them through the academy, they learn positional shooting. They learn how to shoot the shotgun. They learn how to manipulate the weapon, malfunction drills, all of that stuff. 
so that by the time they leave the academy and they're going to their own department or our department, they're confident that they can operate that pistol at least to some level. Right, and it's our officers, detectives, sergeants, commanders, even our chief. She qualified, I think, last week, right? Something like that? Well, no, she didn't make it out last week because oh, of the weather. The weather, but that's she, right. She did qualify when she came to us. Um, which was different for her because I think our qualification course was just a little different than what she had in Houston. Um, but she will be out at some point this year. I'm looking forward to that. Um, and, yeah, everybody has to qualify. If you want to carry a pistol, you have to qualify. If you're a sworn officer, you're going to qualify every year. And if you can't, then we'll give you some remedial training and we'll get you back up to speed. Mm-hmm. And I think something else I learned, too, was I didn't even realize our retirees yeah, as a matter of fact, that's what I was doing right before I came up here to talk with y'all. We had one of our retired detectives who's still working across at the ESEC in the EMS division over there. And um, they come out and they do what's uh, they do a retiree qualification, which is slightly different than what we run our officers through. But it's still them demonstrating that they can smoothly and effectively operate their handguns. Um, and that qualifies them to get a law enforcement identification card that we issue through the department. Um, which gives them just a touch of status, kind of like having a CHL. Um, And it reminds us that these guys are still out there. They're still viable people that could, in a pinch, if one of those guys is out there in the HEB and something happens, they're probably going to take care of business. Right, right. You know, I mean, you don't turn off being a a law enforcement agent. You just get older. Yeah. (laughs) I would say even as a sworn officer, my attention to detail and just public places, I mean, that it, it's heightened since. Well, yeah, there's a there's a touch of paranoia that goes along with seeing bad stuff all the time. Right. Um, and honestly, in this job, you have to guard against that. That's another little piece of training. You got to remember that each situation and circumstance is unique. The people involved in it don't represent anybody other than themselves. So you can't draw any broad based um biases based on what you're dealing with or when you start talking to friends about these experiences on the street it's like you can tell on their faces that you've said something that just shocked them but to you is just normal so it's like sometimes absolutely remember absolutely they haven't been exposed to that (laughs) yeah one of the best things our department does is we have a ride-along program and i encourage everybody to come do our ride-along program because normal people would come sit in a car with me and we would ride the whole shift and they talk to me i answer all their questions they get to see everything i see during the shift and always at the end of it, I would ask them, hey, if you came and you were on a jury and I'm sitting in a box and I'm telling you this story that you just experienced, would you believe me or would you think I was embellishing it, maybe even making it up? And she, I would think you were at a minimum embellishing or making it up. I said, but yeah, but you just lived it. So yeah. am I lying? Right? No, obviously not. It's just people are so unaware of what officers encounter on a day-to-day basis, in and out, all day long. And I'm not asking for anybody's sympathy. That's why we do the job. We love it, right? I mean, this is what we're called to do. I'm not going to sit here and gripe about pay or anything else. The things that most people think we don't get paid enough for, I'd have done for free. That's why I became a police officer, mm-hmm. right? I want to be a badass ninja, ride the lightning, and, and uh, carry a gun and drive fast and woo-woo-woo and catch bad guys. I mean, I'd do that for 10 bucks an hour. <laughs> now, right. when you call me because your 9-year-old won't get up and go to school, I need to get paid a little bit more for that irritation, right? Right. But that's not dangerous. That's just irritating. Mm-hmm. So um, I love it when people come right along with us and get to actually experience and see because then they, then they finally get it. Most yeah. people don't, when you talk about training, most people don't realize that they've been trained their entire lives, right? They've been watching 
choreographed nonsense on TV and movies their entire life. They don't know what a real fight looks like for the most part. Mm -hmm. That's why you take an untrained person, you put them in a fight, they try to punch somebody in the face, which is a horrible idea. It's a good way to break your own hand, yeah. right? And it's, not, it's usually not very tactically effective. But they've seen it be effective on TV their entire lives, and their schema has been built in their head that goes punching people in the face is the way to go. Because I saw T.J. Hooker do it. That's right. Right? I saw Magnum P.I. do it. So they do it. So we got to unprogram that schema when officers come in and give them actual effective tactics. Mm -hmm. The problem is then when Jane and Joe citizens see an actual real use of force, when it doesn't match what their schema in their head, which has been trained by TV and choreography, when it doesn't match, they automatically assume the officers are wrong. Because this is ugly. It's not as clean and sanitary and as effective as TV, right? But this is the truth. Yeah. And it's uh, not uh, a lack of training. It's just the truth, right? We're not going to get too deep into force science, but there are things that go on in the human brain and fear hormones and everything else. It's not the same as just doing jumping jacks and then shooting a pistol. Having a, an elevated heart rate and having fear hormones coursing through you, two entirely different things. So... Most people, when they come right along with us, we start to get rid of some of this choreographed nonsense and they see what real looks like. And that's helpful for us. Right. I think that's so many of us. I like how you made that connection. I never thought of it that way, but it, there's so much that is played on movies and TV shows. And even now on this side, I'm watching it and the realness of it is just taken away because I just see the choreographed mo motions and movements and sounds and so it's interesting that you made that correlation. So what would you say your favorite part about training is? My favorite part about training is when we get to finally hit on wordplay or hit on a concept in a way that the officer really gets it, right? Um, sometimes you, you've got to say something three or four different ways, or maybe it just needs to come out of somebody else's mouth before it trips over in their head and they finally get the concept. Because it's, like I said, I can teach a monkey choreography if you give me a couple of treats, right? I don't need the officer to pretend they understand it and just go through the motions. I need the officer to understand the concept. Because once you understand the concept, you can apply it to a multitude of problems, right? So if they're not getting it, sometimes I got to, well, how am I phrasing this? Somebody else come over here and say it. Because I feel like English is coming out of my mouth, but apparently I'm not penetrating <laughs> whatever they've got going on, Right. And so sometimes it's just the way you say things. And when you finally say something in a way that connects, that's the best. Like here, here in the last few years, we've really been harping on with our officers. Look, there's really only two questions you got to ask, right? Am I getting hurt? If the answer is no, super good. We're secure. Is the bad guy getting away? If the answer is no, super good. So what, what energy do we need to put out now, Right. If we're in the middle of a tussle and I'm not getting hurt and he's not getting away, who's winning? I'm winning. That's right. doesn't really matter what the position is. doesn't really matter what we're doing. But if the bad guy's not hurting me and the bad guy's not getting away, I'm winning. And since we've kind of gone to this paradigm, we've had outside people that have told us, I've been to a lot of DT training. I've been to a lot of jail schools. I've been to a lot of stuff. And it's never been put that way. But then we got into that engagement and I remembered even though I was on bottom, I'm not getting hurt. Bad guy's not getting away. I'm winning. All I got to do is hold on. My buddies are in route, right? 
So it makes a difference just getting the concepts right, getting them to form it in their brain so that we can be effective, we can stay under control, we never let fear or panic creep in, right? And, it, and it's that way for pretty much everything we do. Everything we're doing is just trying to, you don't have to do it like I did it, you just have to be effective. So however I can get you to apply the concept, super good. If I, if I skin the cat with a scalpel and AJ skins it with a spork, we still end up with two naked cats, right? I just worked a lot harder. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, the concept is naked cat. Mm-hmm. I don't really care how we go about doing it as long as we're safe when we do it. Mm-hmm. You know, so getting the concepts across and learning the language to get the concepts across, bringing the right analogy, bringing the right visualization, whatever it takes. That's the best when you see somebody finally go, aha. The light bulb. Oh, I get it now. And they go from barely being able to do something to really doing it well in just the space of one rotation, you know. And, and that's And that's great. You know, that's, that's one of the things that's a real highlight of the day for us as instructors. We've talked about the extensive of training that goes on at this department. Now people know how much training that goes into it and continues to go into it. But what would you tell someone? We do have our civil service test coming up this month now. And so what would you say to someone who might be thinking about the job? Greatest job in the world. Absolutely. Without a doubt, greatest job in the world. Now, that being said... Um, hard, hard job, probably not hardest job in the world. I mean, we're not splitting the atom. A lot of it's just common sense, um, but common sense is getting a little uncommon. Um, people worry a little bit about the pay scale. I was golfing yesterday, and I ended up playing the last four holes with a couple of young guys that are going to Baylor here. Um, and I, young, fit guys, very intelligent, both of them getting their, their business degrees over at Baylor, seem you know, like regular everyday guys and say, hey, have you ever thought about maybe being a police officer? Both of them, without a pause, doesn't pay enough. I'm like, well, how much do you think it pays? Doesn't matter. Not enough. Well, I mean, you know, that is a point of view. Um, Most of us that are in this aren't necessarily in it for the pay in the first place. Um, It takes a certain mindset to be able to do this job and do it well for very long. Uh, that's why we lose several people out of every academy. They get out there, they see what it's really like, they see what it really entails, and then they resign their positions. It doesn't have anything to do with the pay. Normally it has to do with the hours or the, the type of stress that this can put on you as a person and on your family. Um, and the only real way to know that is to do it, so I don't begrudge those people at all. They're all very smart, probably smarter than I am. But it's just not for everybody. Um, because of that, we need as many people to apply as possible so that we have a very large pool to select from. That way we can select best candidates and not just available candidates. Um, when, you, when you reduce the pool too much, you get to where you can't find maybe one or two hidden gems, um, and that's not going to keep up with attrition at the department. We're, we're running out of officers. Um, so what I would say is if... If you want a job that is important, it's challenging, it's something different every day, um, this would be it. Law enforcement would be it. And working at Waco, even though, I mean, you guys have been around me when we're out of the public, we have internal squabbles, we have things that we would like to improve. 
I would not work for another agency in Texas. This, we hire from other agencies all the time. And those officers come in, they go through our fast track training, they train with us, they see our facilities, they see what we get. And without a doubt, we provide better training, better opportunities, better equipment than just about anybody, large and small. Um, so if you want to be a, a cop, a cop in law enforcement, I mean, a cop, you want to be a cop, Waco's as good as it's going to get for you. You know, we still have the citizens backing us here. We've been fairly insulated from the national nonsense and the media push that we're all bad people, right? Um, we still have the confidence of our citizens here, and they know that we're out there trying to do our job, uh, trying to do it the best we can, and for the most part, we're succeeding. When we make a mistake, we own up to it and we fix it. You know, so if you want to be a cop, you want something fun to do with a really good group of people, come out to Waco. If you're working for another agency, anybody, anybody, and you're a good cop, come to Waco. <laughs> we'll treat you better. Exactly. Yeah, I like that. All right, very good. I mean, as far as the pay, like, there are people that are here for 40-plus years. Like, if it's that bad, I don't feel like they'd stay for that long. I no, feel like that's they a testament wouldn't. for – they wouldn't. Right. Now, if you talk to those people, they may say, well, where else would they pay me to yell at people and hit people with a stick? Uh, and that's just a joke, right? I mean, the fact is nobody does anything for that long, especially when you – after a certain number of years, you're actually paying to go to work. It would You yeah. would get more in retirement than you get out of your paycheck. But you still, at a minimum, you enjoy the people you work with. You enjoy the job. Now, the job itself can be stressful. The job has administrative requirements and things that none of us like to deal with. But the people I deal with every day, top notch. The job I get to do, top notch. I, I can't imagine doing anything else anywhere else. Um, at least not right now. Yeah. You know, so, yeah, I mean, I, I think Waco has everything to offer as far as law enforcement goes for a young person coming out. Yeah, I feel like it's got a little bit of the big city excitement, but oh, absolutely. still a small town vibe and absolutely. not as much of the big city drama. Yeah, I mean, if, if you just want to look at per capita crime, I mean, we can run and gun with the best of them, right? You can come here and you can hunt all the crime you want to hunt, right, if that's your thing. Um, which a lot of young a lot of, a lot of young cops that you know that's the way they want to do it, um, and we'll train you to do that right so that there are no civil rights violations, there are no lawsuits following a use of force because you're going to do it right, yeah. right? You're going to understand the concepts, you're going to understand how to apply them, you're going to be confident in what you're doing, and that allows you to go into bad situations and emerge victorious. You know, so that's and, thanks to the uh, training. Well, they mainly, mainly Officer Bella. <laughs> mainly Officer Bella and Sergeant Newman. Good praise. Good yeah, praise there. Yeah. But it, it really isn't hard. Uh, and that's another thing that kind of blows my mind, Sierra, when we talk about these things is the general, the, the myth out in the public and some of the things that you see in comments, which I'm a comment reader. I'm a Facebook arguer with. with you can't read you know, the comments. Oh, no, I read the comments. <laughs> I, and, I got a tally. to yeah. them. Right? So... The, the big myth that, you know, cops are only cops because they couldn't hack it in the real world, uh, it just makes me laugh. You look around this department, we've got accomplished pilots, we've got authors that are published, we've got uh, musicians that have recordings, we've got people that not only are they successful in private business, they're doing it part-time on their part-time gig because they are a full-time officer. We have supremely talented and qualified people all over this department. And to think that they couldn't make it in the real world or couldn't do something else other than serve the public is ridiculous. 
these people not only could do better, they would do it better than most of the people in the public, but they choose to go out and serve the public. Uh, they get my respect. They deserve everyone's respect, but they definitely get my respect. I'm always, I'm always, it's a treat for me when I get to go into a classroom and I get to, I'm walking in and I've got my little surfboard of knowledge, right? I've got my little, my little surfboard. This is my one tactic or technique that we're going to talk about, right? And I stroll up to the, the beach in the front of the room and I look out there and now I've got this sea, this sea of knowledge, this, this ocean of people that are better than me, smarter than me. They've got unique life experiences. They've got training. They've got, they've been to different schools. A lot of them have master's degrees and all this other stuff, right? Mm -hmm. And now I got to go onto the beach with my little, my little surfboard of tactics and I got to use my charisma like it's a moon. And I got I to gotta draw some waves of attention out of this audience, right? This, this ocean of knowledge. I got to get these waves of attention. And then once I get those waves of attention, now I take my little surfboard of uh, <laughs> technique and I just dive in there and I'm surfing those waves of attention. I'm trying to make sure everybody gets touched by my little surfboard of technique while I'm riding through the tube and high-fiving the whole class, right? <laughs> and then I get done. I didn't really add anything, right? Just one little surfboard of technique, and everybody benefited from it. But I learned so much more interacting with those people who are all smarter, better. A lot of times I teach a class and somebody goes, hey, what about this? Well, that's super cool. I'm going to add it. I'm going to put it in the lesson plan right now because that's better, right? Yeah. All I care about is better. Hey, that's all we can do, right? Well, but if you want to apply to be an officer, wacopolice.com, just sign up. Just go through the civil service test. Yeah, come out that, and test. That's what got me here. <laughs> yeah. Uh, almost five years later, here we are. And I was like, AJ could be a pilot somewhere, you know, maybe mm -hmm. jet, flying private jets for rock stars or something, making all kinds of money. Uh, and yet here he is working at the PD. That's right. Yeah. That's right. You know? And even, even as a civilian – I did not have to go through all that, but I did do the agility test. It's not that bad, guys. People are scared of that. I don't understand it. It's all good. I was I was scared. I guess I understand it, but once you start it, you're like, oh, I yeah, got it's, this. It's really not that bad. Um, frankly, the agility test could be a little harder. But well, don't say that. I, uh, I mean, I didn't do that great. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but no, it's not that bad. And then going to the academy, you know, there is. People think it's like like uh, like boot camp in the military. It's not. They do PT, but the PT is structured so that it's improving upon each person. It's not meant to kill you and have anybody die of a heart attack in PT. Um, the classwork is strenuous. There's a lot of stuff to know, but um, it's not an overload. Like I said, most of policing is common sense. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, talking to people how they want to be talked to. Um, being Sheriff Taylor from the Andy Griffith Show as long as they'll let you. And then once they press the Andy Sipowitz button, well, we can do that too. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's playing roles. You know, what do I need to do? What, what officer do I need to be to make sure that we're getting this done effectively out here? Right, absolutely. Well, before we wrap any of this up, anything else you want to say or talk about or any more? Vi you give such great visuals. I liked the surfboard, but you didn't mention your floaties. <laughs> well, I definitely need floaties. I mean, it doesn't look as cool when you're on my surfboard of technique with floaties on, but I'm safer, you're right? right? It keeps me from getting the undertow. Right, yeah. exactly. Right? Rip current's not going to take you away there. Yeah. No, not with pink floaties anyway. <laughs> no. Really big donut-looking pink floaties. I like it. Yeah, there you go. What yeah. anything else that you'd like to add before we wrap this up? Um, I don't really think so. Okay, I appreciate y'all giving me the opportunity to come in and talk about the training unit. Um, 
I do want everybody to remember that I'm talking about the training unit. Like I said before, I'm not the brightest person in the world. I'm standing on the shoulders of other people. So, um, yeah, I, I just wish the, re- the other guys could have been here. I'm sure they would have been more coherent. but um, Maybe not as awesome, though. Well, I mean, it's been an awesome time. It's been it an awesome, awesome time. We I've been guided by two awesome people. So yes, yes. The awesomeness is kind of It's always awesome. Actually. Right. It is always awesome. I just and want to be an awesome officer. That's <laughs> all I ever wanted. <laughs> and we will have those awesome people on here at some point, you yeah. know, but you guys are so busy in the training unit. Oh, if we anyone, are. If anyone hasn't picked up on that yet. Yeah, we are. And I mean, I don't, I don't like to gripe about it because while it can be overwhelming, on the other hand, well, I mean, it's constantly we're pushing forward trying to get stuff to our troops. And as much as internally we don't feel like we get trained very much, I don't feel like I get to do it as much as I need to, um, but there's staffing demands, there's people on vacation, there's other things that take priority. I can't just show up and drag people to the range every day and make them shoot handguns. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't just drag people on the seventh floor and put them in the mat room and we're going to do DT today because, well, I mean, somebody's got to actually do police work. So all of that's going on while we're tr- still trying to find days to get them in there, refresh skills, re-go over those neural pathways, make sure that those are accessible in a moment of stress. Right, right. So, no, it's just really, really enjoy the opportunity to come in and talk with you guys, really enjoy my job. We love all you guys working out there. <laughs> you know. Um, and shout out to Patrol. You guys are the backbone. Love That's you guys. Right. Right. All right. Well, thank you so much, Joe. We appreciate you. And thank you guys for joining us here on Waco PD on the Beat. I'm Sierra Shipley, the Public Information Officer. And I'm Officer AJ Smith, the Crime Stoppers Coordinator for McLean County. Have a good one, Waco. Until next time. Waco PD on the Beat, the heartbeat serving 